The advice in this podcast is general in nature and does not constitute medical advice. Always consult your doctor if you are concerned about your child's health. We recommend always following the safe sleep guidelines. In the spirit of reconciliation, Dr. Fallon and Dr. Law acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and the continuation of cultural, spiritual and educational practices of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. They pay respect to their elders past and present and recognise that sovereignty was never ceded. Tired parents, I want you to imagine this. In the evening, you're feeling a bit drowsy, you're sitting on the couch, maybe you're watching a program and you drift off to sleep. Would you sleep eight to 10 hours or so on the couch in one big long stretch? I mean, you might, but it's actually really, really unlikely. And the reason for that is that after around about one sleep cycle, which might be sort of 40, 40 minutes or so, you're going to notice that you're on the couch. You're going to wake up and think, oh, yeah, I'm still on the couch. And you'll want to go to your bed to fall into your proper nighttime sleep. And the reason for that is that your bed kind of is your sleep association. We like to be in our bed sort of tucked in the same way we usually are to fall asleep. And it kind of guarantees we're going to have a reasonably good night's sleep. And so sleep associations are super, super important, not only for our own sleep as adults, but also for our babies and our toddlers and our preschoolers. We thought we'd chat a bit about this today because thinking about your child's sleep associations can really make a big difference to how well they sleep. So I'm your host, Dr. Fallon Cook, and I'm here with my co-host, Dr. Laura Conway. Laura, I wondered, what are your sleep associations? Do you have particular things you kind of need to do to wind down for sleep? Yeah, listen, the older I get, the more I um, have to have (laughs) (laughs) more pillows. (laughs) And I I did read a post the other day that said... (laughs) Um, I have now reached the age where um, sleeping with the wrong pillow feels like I've been dropped out of the 12th story window. (laughs) I thought, yeah, that's me. So, uh, yeah, I have to have the right pillows. (laughs) Yes. Oh, my God. I'm the same. I'm exactly the same. I've gotten to the age now where I need to have a pillow between my knees so that my back doesn't kind of get twisted around. And if I don't have that, I wake up in a world of no one tells you this I thought I was too young for this kind of thing but apparently not (laughs) no no that's right well having children I think wreaks all kind of havoc on your body it uh, really does yeah never the same Uh, so yeah I have to have my pillows Um, I have to um, have uh, lots of layers I kind of like the heaviness um, of um, blankets on top of me Um, yeah what about you do you have particular sleep associations other than the pillow between yeah (laughs) (laughs) I think I'm very particular about wanting to just kind of do things in the same order before bed like I could I'm the sort of person I could never go to bed until I've brushed my teeth and gone to the toilet and got my comfiest pjs on and the lights are just right the doors locked it's kind of a mental checklist of things that I like to do and once that's done I'm good but yeah if I wake up in the night and there's a light on because one of the kids has gotten up and used the bathroom I can't go back to sleep until it's off again <laughs> yeah I am quite particular about things um so I think it's really helpful to think about our own sleep associations um and then think about our children's sleep associations because so often um for our little ones if they've got something present when they fall asleep that's no longer present during the night 
they just wake up a lot, a real, mm. real lot. And I often say, I've talked about this on the podcast, if you fall asleep with a pillow under your head and it somehow falls off the bed when you're asleep, you know, you're not going to wake up in the night and just go back to sleep. You're going to replace that pillow. And it's so similar for babies and toddlers. Mm. Um, I think probably the biggest one parents come to us asking for help with is that they're having to feed their baby or toddler to sleep. And of course, that child, after a sleep cycle, maybe two if you're lucky, they come up into light sleep and they actually get quite a startle. They, they often feel really cranky, really frustrated mm. because they're falling asleep while they're suckling and they're waking up having been put in their cot. Um, they're not being held anymore. They're not suckling. And that can be quite distressing for them and also not fun for parents at mm. all if you're having to, you know, get up a lot overnight. Um, obviously, if you've got a tiny little baby, it's completely normal to feed a lot overnight and fall asleep feeding, but um, we're probably talking more about the the old ones. Is yeah. that something you help parents with a lot, Laura? Yeah, definitely. And I think sometimes um, for families, it can be a real light bulb moment when they understand that all humans, adults mm. and children and babies do sleep in cycles overnight so we you know we have this notion of sleeping through the night and if we ourselves are good sleepers we can feel like we go to bed at whatever time we go to bed at 10 o'clock and don't wake up until six o'clock in the morning and we think yeah we had a great night's sleep didn't wake at all but actually we all wake all through the night um, mm. and as long as nothing has changed in our environment we go back into our next sleep cycle and we don't even remember it in the morning mm. um, and so the notion of um, that 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 idea that it, once parents understand that actually all of us do that um, and we do I think you saw something a while ago Fallon um, somebody had posted about how um, babies do a kind of a systems check every sleep cycle mm. so you kind of come up into light sleep and adults are the same we do a systems check we go um, has anything changed since we went to sleep? Are we warm enough? Um, is it? Are we too cold? Um, have our um, uh, have we lost our pillow? Is there a burglar in the corner of the room? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah is there a light go, on? Yeah, is there a light mm. on? And we go dun 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 dun. Um, and if we hit anything that um, lifts up a flag, then we'll go. Oh, okay, hang on, something has changed, and um, or there is something unexpected, and we will then fully wake up. Um, and mm. as long as nothing has changed, our systems check just runs its course and we carry on into our next sleep cycle. And so babies, when they're going into their cot, perhaps after um, having been fed to sleep or held to sleep, um, they're waking up and doing their systems check. Am I too hot? Am I too cold? Um, is my nappy uncomfortable? Um, and has anything changed since I went to sleep? And if it has, they're no longer in mum or dad's arms or they're not feeding or they're not being bounced or there's a sound that isn't on anymore that was on, you know, maybe their toy that made a lullaby sound as they were falling mm. asleep has timed out. Then they're going to go, whoa, hang on, something's changed. Mm. And um, depending on how strong that sleep association is that they have and how high their sleep pressure is at that particular point in the night, they may be unable to get themselves back to sleep without support from mum and dad. Yes, and it's so interesting, isn't it? Because this all, this phenomena starts to happen at around that four, sometimes five-month mark, which is when mm. parents will typically say, oh, they slept 
brilliantly in those first few months. You know, they were pretty good. I could feed them to sleep, put them down, and they'd sleep for a few hours in a row. And then they got to four months and it, it just turned to poo. Yes. <laughs> you know? like, and they're just completely perplexed. Why? And it's because that's when you start to kind of do that systems check. Really little babies don't care. <laughs> you can no. put them to sleep anywhere. They can wake up anywhere. They don't really care. But once they hit that four-month mark, they they cotton on to things and they start to develop preferences, habits, yeah, and doing that bit of a, a system check as well. Yeah, and at Fallon, I think that yeah. um, in clinic, what I will often hear as well from parents is that um, they'll say, "Oh, going to sleep isn't a problem. That's absolutely fine." But it's just it's yes. just the overnight wakes. That's what we want help with. And yes. then when we dig down into a, how are they going to sleep, I can hear that it's not a problem, and I can hear that yeah, it's only taking your baby five minutes to go to sleep at the start of the night. But then when we dig into it and we see the way that they're going to sleep is on dad's shoulder pacing up and down the hallway for five minutes. Yes, then that's it's a like, common ah, one. <laughs> yeah, actually, although that isn't, yeah. you, to you doesn't appear to be the problem, that can be the root cause of mm. the overnight wakes. Yes, I saw someone online the other day had posted saying, oh, I need help, um what do they say? I need help with sleep. And they said, it's not how they fall asleep. That's the problem. You know, I don't mind for the feet to sleep. It's just that they're waking up so much overnight and I just need help with the, the waking yes. up. Yes. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's all kind of connected. Will, yes, it is. <laughs> yes. It is. Oh, and, and then the, I heard this other thing, Laura, mm-hmm. which is a total side note, not about sleep associations, but it made me, it made me giggle a little bit, maybe a bit frustrated too. But someone had complained saying, um, this is not on one of our pages, but saying, oh, my child has these split nights where they're awake for two or three hours in the middle of the night. And some parent had gone on there and said, you just need to breathe through it. Just breathe (laughs) through it. (laughs) And it will pass. Like it's literally a circadian rhythm disturbance that needs actual, you know, treating. It needs a strategy and a plan to fix it. Um, but this person had said, just breathe through it. Just It'll pass eventually. It. And, and it just, <laughs> oh my good. I mean, that, it, I can just almost feel my shoulder, my head lifting off my shoulders when I hear something like that, because I think <laughs> about all those exhausted families in clinic yes. and families who are emailing us and taking part in Sombell, having these light bulb moments um, where they understand, you know, really begin to understand the science of sleep um, mm. and can can they realize they can do something about it it's not a rite of passage it's not something you just breathe through that you just endure you know these children who have something like a circadian rhythm disturbance who are doing biphasic nights that is not going to resolve without an intervention yeah or if it does it'll take maybe years to do it yeah they'll be at school and then you know you've had um potentially in months and months or years of disturbed sleep um yeah. and it's very frustrating and really minimizes the impact of that um it for really parents does. when they see those kind of comments online just breathe through it yeah and you wouldn't say that about any other problem if your child wasn't oh actually you do hear people say <laughs> those terrible things um for children that have um uh you know very uh, very picky eaters and parents, some people will say, well, mm. well, child will eventually eat. No, they won't, actually. If a, your child mm. has a 
actual feeding problem, a swallowing problem, um, they need help. Um, yeah. And it's irresponsible for people to be jumping in and saying, just breathe through it or they'll outgrow it without knowing the full picture. Um, yes. Oh, sorry, I'll get, I'll get off my soapbox then. No. I just saw that no, I touched I a nerve, fellow. <laughs> No, I absolutely get it. It's it's just, it's infuriating. And I mean, we see every day the impact that that has on families. And I think particularly with sleep, you know, if you're just decided you're going to wait it out and you're going to spend two or three years having these horrendous nights, like it's hard to even, I mean, you could sit down and start writing a list of all the ways that would negatively impact not just the child, but the parent and the entire family. Mm. Often it turns parents into the kind of parents they don't want to be they're feeling mm-hmm. really impatient really angry really frustrated mm-hmm. you're not enjoying parenting you're finding everything just too hard um mm. that filters onto the children you know children with interrupted night sleep we know that that can have flow-on effects on other aspects of um development as well particularly when it persists over the long term so yeah um i mean i'm sure we don't have to convince our listeners that no, it's okay to do something about their child's sleep um but yeah i think it is definitely worth mentioning because yeah it's, it can feel you can feel very silly if you go online looking for help and you get those sorts of unhelpful comments saying oh yeah. just breathe through it breathe or someone it. once told me that they were told to just let the fatigue sit lightly on you oh my god <laughs> it makes me so cross so cross how do you do that can someone explain yeah. it to me and sure <laughs> if you're involved in a car accident and the uh, police officer says what were you doing and your answer is I just was letting my fatigue sit lightly on me <laughs> rather than addressing it and seeking professional help the police officer is not going to be that happy about it you know it has actual actual yeah. full-on effects with your daily functioning if you're not getting good sleep Mm. as a parent um so uh anyway if we (laughs) if we just kind of just rein in our rants um and and go back to what we were uh the main point of this um conversation (laughs) Fallon was about those sleep associations so one of the ways if your baby or toddler or preschooler um, is waking frequently over the overnight one of the things to look at is how are they falling asleep um, mm. and when they wake up how are they going back to sleep is there um, one particular thing that they really need or are you walking up a kind of ladder of um, uh, patting them and then picking them up and cuddling them and then walking around the room and then going on a bouncy ball and then feeding them and then putting them in the pram and then sticking them in the car and driving them around the block you know are they, yeah um you really want to be going all right let's um rein it in and let's think about one particular way that we'll use to settle them yeah. that isn't so dependent on me um not as in me laura um, but me the parent <laughs> <laughs> Um, and although maybe we should um, have some kind of um, audio, Fallon, you and I just boring at the babies to tears that you can just play all night, <laughs> like goes for 12 hours. A we new, don't need white um, noise, it's just us talking. A new product line for the business, we can have a, yeah. a Spotify channel or something. <laughs> uh, oh so yeah, you'd yeah. be looking at those things um, and... Uh, yeah, picking one way, and Sombell has a whole heap of um, approaches that you could use. Um, first of all, to help you identify what the sleep associations are that your baby, toddler, 
may have um, and then how to replace any of those that are dependent on you doing something that is in you the caregivers um, and um, do it in a really kind and supportive way um, to help your baby learn to go to sleep without those associations but with some different ones that are going to be present in their cot or bassinet all night long or bed mm. um, so that when they do come up into light sleep and do that kind of systems check they'll see even though mum or dad isn't there if you, they weren't there when bub went off to sleep they're less likely to go oh hang on you need to come back again yeah absolutely um we've had a few questions come in this week haven't we should we start to go through some of those yeah let's do that um all right shall i take holly's questions fallon yeah um, yeah yeah okay so holly um thank you so much for your email you've sent in a few questions so we have broken it down a little bit um now holly has a nine-month-old baby and holly joined sombell because her baby needed uh, to be fed to sleep with the exception of one nap um where um, her baby would go to sleep in the cot but holly needed to sing for five to 15 minutes um before holly went off uh, before the baby went off to sleep so for the last two weeks, Holly has been working on cot settling and now can pop her baby down into the cot and walk out of the room and her baby just self-settles to sleep beautifully. So that's really Brilliant. excellent, Holly. Yeah, really well, well done. done. So Holly has questions about naps and daily schedule. So she writes that her baby's unique sleep needs are about 12 and a half hours um, per 24 hours. Um, she says that's been consistent since she was a newborn. Um, that's relatively unusual, isn't it, Fallon, for sleep needs mm. at um, nine months to be the same as they were at newborn? Um, yeah. Uh, normally they're much higher and then they decline. So Holly would have, you would have had a rough time, I imagine, Holly, with a newborn that only had 12 and a half hours sleep need. That's very low. Um, mm. So she says that bedtime is currently between 8 and 8.30 and her baby wakes between 5 and 7 in the morning. Um day naps are no longer they're somewhere between two and two and a half hours in total now holly says that her baby wakes up at different times every day so it's hard to stick to a nap schedule uh, as she also wants to know to try and stick to a particular nap schedule should she be holding off putting her baby down for the nap until the scheduled time or be putting her straight into the cot when she shows tired signs okay mm. so what I would say, Holly, is that um, that's quite a wide range of um, wake times in the morning, somewhere between 5 and 7 a.m. So the first thing I'd want you to do is um, when you've worked out what her daily schedule should be um, with uh, roughly probably 10 hours overnight, if you're giving her two roughly two, two and a half hours during the day, you'd want to work out what that wake up time is in the morning and stick to it. Wake her. Yeah, that was my thought too, Laura. I'd probably be tempted to do something like an 8pm bedtime, 6am wake up. So you're giving her that 10 hour window mm. and then aiming for your two and a half hours of day sleep. Um, because yeah, if that wake up time is the same every day, and look, she might wake up before 6am some days, but um, 
but that's okay. If you just keep making sure she's always up by 6am, it's going to mean that her nap schedule is going to be a little bit more predictable. Mm. She's going to get tired at similar times. And I would just say, make a decision around, you know, how many naps she's going to have, when she's going to have them. And then I'd just stick to that for a week or so, really help her fall into that rhythm. It might not match perfectly with her tired signs and I wouldn't be too worried. Um, Mm. I would just be trying to kind of stick to that schedule. Wake her up if she's napping for too long. You know, you might decide that you're going to do, um, you know, uh, two one-hour naps or one hour and an hour and a half or whatever way you're going to do it. Come up with a bit of a plan um, for what you'll do and then stick to it, even if it means you do have to wake her sometimes. After a week or so, babies tend to fall into a pretty good rhythm um, Mm. and they'll tend to kind of stick to those times that you have been sticking to um, and that will become more like her natural rhythm. Yeah, I think you just answered her follow-up question. Um, oh, have I? Where, where she asked about um, the nap duration can vary anywhere between 30 minutes, an hour and 20. Um, and she says that when she wakes up after 30 minutes, um, baby's normally quite happy. Um, but then she says that it means someday she's giving her, still giving her three naps and is asking, is that okay? Is three naps still okay at nine months? Um, and really probably at nine months, you'd want to be pushing her to um, uh, guiding her towards just the two nap schedule. And probably then what you will find, Holly, is that um, with that consistent wake up time and after a week of getting used to the new daily rhythm of just the two naps, she'll probably start to consistently have at least one longer nap um, Mm. and probably in the morning. Um, And then you're going to be less um, likely to have such variability from day to day. Um, she mm. finally asked a question about overnight sleep um, and how her baby is waking up once or twice a night after previously doing um, eight-hour stretches. Um, and she's feeding her back to sleep. Um, so she wants to know how to work towards consistent eight hours sleep and one stretch. So two things mm. there, Fallon, that I would say. One is that having that wake-up time in the morning and the two naps during the day is going to help with the sleep pressure, be more consistent, yeah. which means she'll be able to maintain her sleep for longer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yep. And the other thing is about the feeds. What do you think I'm going to say about the feeds, Fallon? <laughs> yeah, look, I think so often at that particular age, around that nine-month mark, if they know a feed might be offered, they'll tend to wake up and call out just because they like to have a feed, not because they're necessarily mm. hungry, but because... It's just kind of nice. So um, you could consider maybe just at first dropping back to one feed, maybe feeding once at sort of 1 or 2 a.m. or later um, and making it just one feed a night. And then, you know, eventually when you're ready, you could phase that out um, Mm. as well. Yeah. Yeah. So, Holly, I hope that helps. Um, And, yeah, next up we've got Amanda. Do you want to take that question? Yeah. Yeah, so Amanda says, thanks so much for Sombel. I've learned so much and my baby has started sleeping better. So that is fantastic. Well done, Amanda. Um, Amanda wants to know, are there natural nap windows which occur between 9 and 10 a.m. and 12 and 2 p.m. where babies go to sleep more easily? If so, should I aim for a nap at those times? Hmm, Hmm. it's an interesting one, isn't it? Yeah. Um, Look, there are definitely people out there... um, you know, even some of the really good evidence-based people who say that there are these sort of natural nap windows. I don't know that there's a heap of science really proving anything one way or the other. So I just tend to say to families, look at the baby in front of you. When do they tend to settle more easily? And if you've got a consistent bedtime and wake up time, odds are there'll be like pretty consistent times of day. 
um, when your baby is more likely to settle easily for a nap. Um, so that's what I would be looking at. Mm. Um, Amanda also says, I'm finding it difficult to establish any sort of sleep routine, which makes planning my day tricky. We put our baby to bed at roughly the same time each day, around 6.30 to 7pm, and she wakes up between 4.30 and 5.30am, so it's quite early. (laughs) She says, I can't seem to get her to sleep um, longer, unfortunately, even if she goes to bed later. Her naps range from 20 minutes um, to 2 hours and 45 minutes. Mm. So her second nap is always at a different time. She usually does two to three naps per day and has just turned six months old. This is very similar to the other case, actually, in that Mm. I think just keep in mind, parents, that you can wake your baby from a nap. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's actually really important to do that so that you can get a bit more predictability to the day. Mm -hmm. I would be thinking of bedtime and wake-up time as being like the key signpost for your baby's circadian rhythm. Mm -hmm. Um, And sometimes to keep that consistent, we need to make sure the naps aren't sort of varying wildly. It's okay for there to be a bit of variation. Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah, I would yeah probably look at her sleep needs, come up with a bit of a plan for how long those naps um, should be, um, and then just start trying to gently work towards that that bit of a daily rhythm. Mm. Um, is that what you'd say, Laura? Yeah, I love that idea that you just um, described having bedtime and wake up as signposts because um, that's some that's one thing or two things really bedtime and wake up that can be really predictable um, and you have mm. um, control over um, yeah look at six months of age um, Amanda your baby's heading right towards the point where um, she's probably going to be dropping to two naps soon um, and it sounds like she's at the transition point where she's some she's between two and three naps a day um, I'd look as a general rule I, um, particularly if your baby is having um, two or three naps a day, not to let um, the naps be longer than about two hours. Um, And it's different when they're just on, once they're on one nap, um, they might have a two or three hour nap if they've got a high sleep need. Um, But on two or three naps a day, if some of their naps are pushing out into nearly three hours mm. in this case um that's probably got quite a lot to do with those early morning wakes yeah yeah absolutely a bit too much day sleep yeah. yeah um all right should we move on to the next question yeah yeah yep. so we've got pre um so pre says thank you for all the science-backed advice in Sombell. that's a pleasure pre um and pre says having two apparently low sleep needs kids it's such a relief to not be trying to fit them into age appropriate schedules <laughs> yeah Yay! i bet <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i hope we've saved you um some years of hell pre trying to settle <laughs> your babies to sleep um in you know for that two long during the day um okay so pre has two questions one um she calls accidental naps she says if these keep happening is it a sign that overall sleep needs are not being met our no. three no yeah <laughs> sorry Good. carry on no yes that's right it's, yeah we should say it's not um now the, the information that pre gives is that she's got a three and a half year old who's been having much better um nights and days since he dropped his nap seven months ago and look, that's great. That's, um, mm. you know, around three years of age, give or take a few months either side is quite typical for children to drop their nap altogether. Um, but pre saying that in the car, 
Um, God, those car rides, Fallon, they're a killer. Uh, If Mm. her child's in the car for more than 20 minutes in the afternoon, he'll fall asleep. And this impacts bedtime. Um, And she's asking, um, what do we do? How how do we stop um, those naps happening Mm. in the car? We try entertaining him, but often this doesn't work. Um, If it's just one of us adults, of course, we're focusing on driving rather than entertaining. Yeah, yeah, look, I would say, Pre, this is what iPads and tablets were made for. <laughs> yes. They are your best friend in this situation. Look, this honestly, though, it, this is exactly how you can use some screen time as part of your parenting toolkit. Mm. Um, see if it works because, you know, if it's 20 minutes in the car with an iPad or a tablet, you know, in some exciting, interesting show that's going to keep them entertained, then brilliant. It's going to protect that nighttime sleep your child's probably going to absolutely love it. And there's so much really good educational content mm. available to kids these days as well. Um, I would say that's a really good way to use screen time. So that that's definitely what I would be thinking about trying just so that you can protect sleep. Won't be long and he won't have those accidental naps anymore. Um, yeah. So that could be a good strategy to try. Yeah. And um, what's her second question? Her second question is, we've been capping naps for our 11-month-old to preserve her night's sleep. She's frequently difficult to wake up, but then perfectly happy for long periods afterwards. For example, yesterday we woke her from her first nap at 10.30am with some difficulty, after which she was awake until a 7.30 bedtime. Um, and Pre writes, it was her choice. We tried very hard to get her down for an afternoon nap, which she adamantly refused in favour of playtime. <laughs> uh, so Pre asks, how do we know how much sleep is enough or too much? Yeah, I really love this because it really highlights that for, you know, for most children, the sort of typical guidelines would be that you're not going to drop to one nap until they're at least 12 or even 14 months. But for a low sleep needs baby, often that's what they really need to do. Mm. And Pre's baby is really showing her that she can absolutely do it. If she's awake from 10.30 a.m., perfectly happy and powering through to her bedtime, um, I would say she's probably ready just to drop to one day nap. Yeah. And um, you could try settling her at around midday. Um, that might also mean you're not trying to wake her up when she's still really tired because she can have a longer mm. um, lunchtime nap. It sounds like she'll cope perfectly fine until bedtime. So, um, yeah, that might even be sort of um, the next step and it avoids those tricky wake-ups. Yeah, and also just um, think about um, what her sleep cycle length is. Sometimes if you wake a child mid-sleep cycle, um, they can just be really, really grumpy because it's quite hard to come out of sleep. And as all of you parents will know who are struggling with sleep, if sometimes when you're woken up overnight by your little one, you, it's quite easy to get out of bed and um, go and assist them. Other times it feels like you're pulling, your, you know, swimming through treacle to, um, to mm. get out of bed. And that would be due to what phase of sleep you're in. Um, so when you're waking your baby after um, a nap, try to time it for um, the end of their sleep cycle, um, often somewhere between, it depends on the age, but it could be as l- as soon as 30 minutes after they've gone to sleep or some children have longer sleep cycles of maybe 50 minutes. Average is about 45 minutes if in doubt. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, and last yeah, question, also, Fallon. Yeah, we have a question from Kimberly um, about her six-month-old. She's been working on cot settling and dropping the night feeds. 
And she asked, do you think it would be beneficial to move her into a cot in her own room or is being in a bassinet still okay? Um, Such a good question, actually. Um, For bassinet use, definitely stop using a bassinet by six months of age because most babies can roll and bassinets become unsafe as soon as a baby can roll around. Mm. Um, So I would say it's definitely time to, to move to a cot. You've kept her in your room for six months, which is brilliant, and that's what Red Nose recommends as well. Um, but, yeah, I'd move her to the cot for safety's sake. Um, and when you do move her to her own bedroom, I always say to parents, it, it can feel really daunting. I know I struggled with it myself with my own mm. kids. Um, it can be hard to have them move that bit further away. There's no reason why you can't set up a spare bed beside the cot on the floor of the nursery for mm. the first few nights if that makes you feel mm. better and you think that your child needs that that bit of closeness while they're adjusting to a new room um you can do that and then when you feel comfortable you can move back out of the room um is that what you would say laura yeah absolutely um uh, particularly since um kimberly is working on dropping her the feeds overnight um it can also just be a little bit easier if um the baby is in a separate room um of course if you're in the Mm. room (laughs) with the baby that that's um not good it's a bit of a moot point but it could be that your partner is in the room with your baby overnight and you are in your room um if you were breastfeeding um and Mm. that makes it a bit easier because when your baby wakes up in the night um wanting that feed that they're used to having and then it's your partner resettling them rather than you um that can just be a bit easier all around for everybody yeah, and I find it amazing too. Often it is at this point when if parents are trying to reduce nighttime feeding because it's, you know, they're feeding a little bit too much, sometimes moving your baby to the nursery, it's almost like magic because they come mm. up into light sleep. They don't smell your breast milk nearby and mm-hmm. they just go back to sleep. So often when they're sleeping very close to us, we hear every little noise and we're really quick to go to them and offer a feed. But as soon as they're that little bit further away, yeah, sleep can improve drastically. So definitely worth a shot. Thank you so much to all the parents who asked these wonderful, wonderful questions. We hope you've really enjoyed this episode of Brand New Little People. If you are struggling with sleep and settling or maybe your child's got some tricky sleep associations you want to change, um, Sombell is absolutely the resource for you. Mm -hmm. Um, It contains lots of strategies and you'll gain all the skills you need to really nurture your child's sleep now, but also moving forward, you're going to have great skills that can carry forward, I think, right across childhood. Um, So thanks for listening in, everybody. Remember to send your questions in and have a great week. Thanks, everyone. Bye. If you need help with your baby or toddler's sleep or settling, you need Sombell. Sombell is Australia's first online paediatric sleep clinic program for babies and toddlers aged 0 to 3 years. It contains all the best resources from the sleep clinics at Infant Sleep Australia, so you can rest easy and so can your child. To find out more, click the link in the show notes or visit sombell.infantsleep.com.au.